this is going to be a just one command, one encouragement after another, after another, after another, an insight, one after another, after another, after another. And basically, if we read it uh, superficially, okay, well, Paul's just kind of tidying up. He's got this list of things he wanted to address. And so he's bang, 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 bang. He's going to address these things. Stop. That's not what is happening. What Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, I have spoken to you Thessalonians about my joy at your ministry. As he has already said, as Silas and Timothy and I have gone from one town, great town in Greece and Macedonia to another, to another, to another, to another, and we start to explain the gospel, they say to us, oh, well, yes, we know. Those fellows from Thessalonica have been here and explained this to us. And we are bowled over. We are so enraptured. We're so joyful that you embrace the gospel so completely that you've gotten ahead of us, the apostles, <laughs> and you've gotten ahead of us and reached out with the gospel to these places. And then he goes on and talks about the way God has ministered through him and Silas and Timothy. And again, joy, 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 instruction. And then he spoke to them about they had an issue that arose because one of the things that he and, he and Silas and Timothy, when they were ministering to them, they had a seminar one, one Sunday. And in that seminar... They explained the Olivet Discourse of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as it is laid out in Matthew 24 and 25. How do we know that? Because what Paul cites to them is an absolute replica in order of what the Lord Jesus says there recorded in Matthew 24 and 25, which is unique, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the Olivet Discourse. But there is material that is unique in each of those to those three Gospels, and what we find that Paul repeats is what is unique in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is about the rapture, the great catching up. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says, men were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, life as usual, life as usual, life as usual, no great judgments, no great, nothing bad going on as it was in the days of Noah before the flood. So it will be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken and another left. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken and another left. And therefore, you, my followers, need to be aware that I'm coming at an hour you do not expect. If they knew Jesus was coming, they wouldn't have been out in the field working. If they wouldn't have been at the milk, they would have been sitting on their front porch in their best clothes with their eyes. No, I'm going to come when you're not expecting, but you need to be ready. No matter where you are, no, what, no matter what task you're carrying, you need to be ready. You need to be ready because I'm going to come to you like a thief. <laughs> that is, unexpectedly, you set in place at your house security measures with the expectation that there are bad people out there, and so we need to take some measures there, you know, whether it's lighting or bars on the windows or uh, security, whatever it is, you take the measures you need to take to keep yourself and your family safe. Because this thief doesn't send you a postcard telling you when he's going to show up. 
And so you're ready. You're ready. You're re- I'm, you need to be ready when I come. And you need to be watchful. Like those ten virgins, five of whom had oil, five of whom had that, but all of whom slept when they should have been on the watch for the coming of the bridegroom for the wedding feast, and instead they all slept. And so when he came, they had to be awakened. And so Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, that when, whether we wake or sleep, we will be caught up to the Lord. It's better, be awake, be awake, be awake. But even if you're asleep, shame on you. He's going to still yank you up. He's still going to, and the five virgins who slept but had the oil were welcomed into the wedding feast. Those who did not, and the oil was an emblem of the Holy Spirit, those who were, uh, had, they all looked the same, but five of them were authentic, had the oil, and five were not. They were not ready at all. And so, Paul, that's what we dwelled on last week, and now we come to the final injunctions, but don't think that Paul is just going down his lit. Listen carefully. And we, Silas and Timothy and I, urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Let me tell you something, folks. Leading a church isn't just about having a title and an office and that sort of thing. It is wonderful it's wonderful to have a flock that is responsive to the word. It is responsible to be ministering to a congregation where the congregation is eagerly seeking God. But folks, it's not always that way. <laughs> it certainly wasn't that way for Moses, the human shepherd in the wilderness, where Israel rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. So what is Paul saying? Please make the job of the elders in your congregation happy. Enable them to be filled with joy. It's a lot easier to be filled with joy if you don't have knucklehead sheep, if you don't have sheep running off and doing dumb stuff. Please be good sheep so that those who have the responsibility of caring for you don't have to keep chasing after you with that shepherd's crook to pull you out of the thorns or that rod to beat off the predators that you put yourself in danger of. Allow them to simply have you at the green, wa- at the green pastures and the still waters. And everybody will be happier. So, yes, and esteem them, respect them for the role that they're playing because, in fact, they're your servants. You know, we get this picture, and especially in the Western, you know, leadership, we, we picture this pyramid. And the, the, the people that have the, the largest responsibility that our eyes are, like the general in the army, we picture them at the top of the pyramid. And the fellows down here, those poor privates, oh man, they're carrying the load. Wrong, wrong. Do, are they carrying a load? Absolutely. But who's really, we need to turn that pyramid upside down. 
The people who are actually carrying the load are the ones in leadership. Make their load lighter as you are enabled. Make their job easier. It's a lot easier to lead a willing flock. Now, word of caution here, always hold your leaders accountable to God's word because the leader is Jesus. The shepherd of the sheep is Jesus. Don't be afraid. If your leader is doing something that appears to you to not be in step with the scripture, carefully, kindly, with the spirit of grace, go to them and say, brother, can you explain your choices, what you have stated to us, the way you're in comparison to the scripture, and allow them to do so. Sometimes you may find out they were right and you were wrong, or you were both wrong, but the ultimate shepherd of the sheep is Jesus. Everyone must be humble before him, but be kind to your congregational leadership, to the pastor, the elders, and so forth. Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves and the bickering among yourselves. Now, he's not accusing them of any. This is what he would say to any congregation. And based on what he's already written to them, there does not seem to be any evidence of conflict. Among, but should it arise, and by the way, it will, it will, seek peace, resolve issues, be willing to wash one another's feet. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. What is the warning? If people are unruly, who is the ultimate uh, shepherd who deals with the unruly? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Warn those who are unruly that they are putting themselves in danger. They're putting themselves outside of the protection of the shepherd and they are subject to the predators they're subject to their own stupidity getting themselves caught in the thorns or attacked by the predators warn those who are unruly comfort the faint-hearted every one of us faces challenge that, challenges that left to ourselves we just can't deal with god purposes us for us to come alongside one another. He comes alongside of us, but also we are to come alongside of one another. Exhort, we exhort you, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Come alongside of them and help them. Be patient with all. How patient has God been with you? How patient has God been with me? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> but he's been really, 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 really patient. Really patient. And we owe 
that to each other. To be patient with one another. And again, as I keep citing it, when Jesus washed the feet of the apostles, they were shocked, shocked, shocked at his love, at the humility of his love for them. Doing what was only the task, the task of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servant was to wash feet. And Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they knew it, was washing their feet. How dare I say, oh, well, that's too hard. That's too degrading. From Uh-uh. We are to be foot washers. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Don't you dare strike back. It's called forgive. Forgive. And the chief beneficiary of forgiveness is the forgiver. Sometimes you will forgive someone and they couldn't care less. But it sets you free. And you sense that anger rolling off of your shoulders you're actually transferring the right for retribution to god and so and this is i'm what i'm telling you here is right from romans chapter 12 romans chapter 12 so you can go check this out when somebody offends you does something legitimately wrong to you you go to that person and say harold i'm letting you off my hook what you did to me was really, really wrong. But I'm, I'm abandoning any retribution. I'm giving, oh, but I'm, you're on God's hook. <laughs> now, do you still have a problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, but I'm getting out of the way of God. And uh, I think that might incite you more to repentance than knowing that I'm mess, you're messing with me. Oh, oh, no, I'm leaving it to God. I'm giving my right for retribution over to God. So we're to be servants of one another. We're to be forgiving of one another. We're to forgive one another. Uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, abandon all, all plans for retribution, but always pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. Pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. And there will never be a conflict. God is so good at what he does, he will make it all come together in ways that will astonish you. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. This is a man who's already been beaten with Ra. He's already suffered physically. He's, uh, he has deprived himself of the wealth that he had. He, they had a, he had a nice family estate there in the city of Tarsus. And he had lived there for several years when finally Barnabas over in Antioch said, sent word to Paul, Paul, get off your duff and come over here and serve with us. And that's what got Paul going in his apostolic ministry in the Mediterranean world. He abandoned serving himself and became a servant of all. And what was the outcome? Completely contrary to what the world's formula is, joy started erupting from his life when he abandoned his earthly wealth. 
Rejoice always. And you have, even in prison, you have the right to rejoice because God is going to make out of that blessing and kingdom glory that you cannot even imagine. You have the right to start rejoicing ahead of time. Some of you are old enough to remember Dandy Don Meredith and uh, what was Monday night football. And it was always that football. And there was always a point a few, day, a few minutes before the end of the game where Dandy Don would start, who was the retired quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, would start singing, Turn out the lights, the party's over. The game hadn't ended. Oh, yes, it, it, the victor is obvious. We can start rejoicing now. You know what, Christian? You can start rejoicing now. Because Jesus came out of that tomb. He ascended to heaven in the, in the, into the kingdom glory in the eyes of the apostles. And he's coming again. And it is set in concrete and we, concrete, and we can walk in that kingdom promise joy now. Turn out the lights. The party's over. This game is over. We are stepping into kingdom glory. Well, yeah, but the heavens haven't. They're gonna. They're gonna. They, the clouds are gonna be parted, and he's going to come. And we will be out in the fields working, and at the mill grinding it. Away we go. And we can rejoice now. Rejoice always. Pray without, don't ever stop praying. Because you have a God who has gigantic ears. He is hearing your prayer and he has the capacity and more than is ever necessary. You know, God isn't even challenged. I love the fact that the creation, the entire physical creation that we can't even see the end of with our most powerful telescopes is called the finger work of God. How hard, it, it, I don't know about you younger people, but us old folks remember finger painting. <laughs> How hard was finger painting? It wasn't hard at all. The, cre the physical creation is God's finger painting. Do you think we have some challenge in our lives that is really a, no, I got it covered. God says, I got it covered, I got it covered, I got it covered. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In every, Lord, here we are right up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is behind us. What can possibly be done? Uh, Moses, stand on that rock over there and lift up your stick. He didn't tell Moses what he was going to do. He just said, stand on the rock and lift up your stick. What could be more useless at this point than for me to stand on a rock and lift up a stick? Is God challenged? He is not. He is not. He can do anything. Pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, and I get to give thanks ahead of time. Even though I don't know what he's going to do, I know he's going to act in a way that is going to blow us away.
And all the way through the 40 years of Israel's kingdom experience, it was one miracle after. They had already seen 10 miracles in Egypt. And then they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And everything gives thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. When he incites you to do something, don't. Oh, Lord. No. Do it. Do it. I, one of my favorite. I'm trying to remember his last name. This is several years ago. This uh, fellow was a pastor here in Kerrville. David Besh. David Besh was a greeter at Walmart. And David was a wonderful, wonderful fellow. Big, majestic guy with white hair. And every time I walked into Walmart, David and I would have a conversation and about the Lord for two or three minutes. And I would go in. And as I'm coming out one day, I'm, I've got my bag of stuff. And I've already paid for it. And I'm about to walk out. And the Lord said, Mark, go over to David and ask him how to become a Christian. Well, Lord, I'm going to do it. So I walked over to David, and it was like we had rehearsed it. I said, sir, you look like you'd know how to go in, get into the kingdom of God. Can you tell me how to do that? Yes, I can. And he, in 45 seconds, loudly laid out the gospel. And then I said, thank you very much. I needed that. And then I walked out. There was somebody there that needed to hear it. And the Holy Spirit, go do this. You don't say, no, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. David, honestly, folks, it was like I had warned him and he had rehearsed it. That's how bang, 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 and smooth it was. God's good at what he does. And that was a testimony to me. Man, David was so ready. What did he do? He didn't quench the spirit. I tried <laughs> till heaven went, and okay. But then when I said those words to David, away he went with not a moment's hesitation, no look of surprise, just did it. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies when someone, hey, I really believe the Lord is inciting me to do them. Perhaps opening a door. Would you pray? Do not despise God's guidance in your life. Test all things, but also test all things. Just as I said earlier about if your pastoral leadership seems to be saying something that may, uh, you got a question about it, that's fine. Now go to them with a spirit of humility and ask them, how does what you directed us to or said to us match with the Scripture? They also ought to be willing to test what they said or directed someone to do. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. And when you know what the Scripture says and what He's directing you to do, do it. You hold fast to it. Abstain from every Form of evil. Not just abstain from evil, although obviously we are to do that, 
but also if, if, you can, if you are doing something that can easily be misinterpreted as being evil, then adjust the way you're doing it so that you're not inciting questioning and turmoil amongst your brothers and sisters. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself, may the God of shalom, this is why I titled this sermon the God of shalom. When we read that word peace, it's not just absence of conflict. The word shalom, and remember, Paul was a Jew. <laughs> this is that Greek word, arene, when he's saying it, he's really thinking of the Jewish concept of shalom. It meant peace, shalom, was the presence of all blessing. It wasn't just the absence of conflict. It was the presence of all of God's blessing. Now may the God of shalom, peace, himself sanctify, set you apart completely, make you wholly, completely his. And may your whole heart, whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, your body will be transformed. Your spirit and soul will be cleansed of your fallen nature. Man, I can't wait for that. <laughs> that internal devil's advocate that we all carry around with us. We're all going to be cleansed. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He is present with you to enable you to do all of these things. Who also will do it in you. He has applied to you the presence of his Holy Spirit you are not lacking energy. You are not lacking the strength you need to move forward. And you need to know it and call on the, the Holy Spirit who is present within you to strengthen you to move forward. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. I'm not standing up here on some platform, speaking down to you people. No, 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 no. Everything I'm saying to you is echoing back to me. I'm saying these words to me. And so please pray for us. We need the same help that you do. Paul had no resource available to him that wasn't available to every one of his readers that isn't available to us. But we are also to serve one another in being in prayer. That's why in our worship service, what do we do? We ask for praises, but also prayer requests so that we can pray for one another. Because we all, the strength that any of us walks in that's authentic, that glorifies God, comes from God. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And this was the standard greeting in the Mediterranean world, when a guest came in, you gave him a peck on the cheek. <laughs> Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you. I place you under an oath. The word here is orchidzo, and it means to place under an oath. So this is a serious charge. I place you under an oath by the Lord 
that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Pass this epistle around. Take it from one congregation to another, to another, to another, to another. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The enabling power and presence of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. May it be so. And now we come to the Lord's table. What does Jesus say? This is the new covenant, the new contract, the new arrangement in my blood. Go back to Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. That's easy to remember. Jeremiah 31, 31, 600 years before Jesus is born. We are told by God through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers on Mount Sinai. Which covenant they broke <laughs> in every possible conceivable way. I will, I will, I will. And the third I will, your sins and iniquities remember no more. Are you in favor of that? Are you for that? Yeah. I'm for that. I need that. I'll take that. Well, that's what we're commemorating because Jesus has initiated that new covenant. And why is it that the church, why did Jesus institute this custom in the church to be done on a weekly or a month? However, it's not mandated how often it's to be done. But why did he do it? To bring us back to center. To bring us back to center. Okay, what is the basis of our relationship? My mercy that I am free to give you because of my sacrifice. This matzah cracker, this unleavened bread, is my body. And leaven was used as a symbol, as an emblem for sin. This is unleavened bread. This is my body broken for you. I am the sinless one. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. By the shedding of my blood, by my suffering on the cross, the suffering you deserved was poured out on me. I am your lamb, as John the Baptist said, he is the lamb of God upon whom our sin is placed who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what we're commemorating. Darren and Bob, would you join me, please? <laughs>